The Lord be with you. In the four opening chapters of Matthew's Gospel, they put together a really intense, over-the-top production. Matthew's working really hard to help the audience catch a grasp of exactly what's going on. There's carefully chosen prophetic names for the coming one. The heaven-sent, God-with-us one. Glowing lights in neon Son of David, son of Abraham. There's a fantastic song and dance, Esther Williams, sort of number, acting out Jesus' crazy and eclectic family tree, rooted in the story of Israel, framed by the frustrations and the expectations and the struggles and the hopes of God's people. Matthew's gospel grabs the reader by the shoulders and passionately detailing and itemizing, guaranteeing this is not another story about some regular guy. Are you paying attention? Are you seeing this? Matthew blows out the special effects budget with conceived by the Holy Spirit and announced by a star in the heavens visited by magi, tempted in the desert, baptized by John. The one who will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. A voice from heaven declares, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Born of a woman on earth, calling calling followers, healing people. And then finally, here in chapter 5, a helicopter shot rolls in, a slow crane shot. The setup is everything. Do you see who this is? Make no mistake except no substitutes. This is the one. And before we go any further, you need to understand who we're dealing with. This Galilean, this remarkable person, is the Son of God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak, and he taught them. When we're considering the work of a true master, maybe a listicle on BuzzFeed, it can be difficult to say what the most important and influential and beautiful true work is. Is it Michelangelo's David? Is it Mozart's quintet in A for clarinet and strings? Is it Frank Frank Lloyd Wright's falling water? Is it the Beach Boys' pet sounds? Is it the Backstreet Boys' backstreet's back? In the catalog of all of his remarkable teachings, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a masterpiece high in the running. A work of such penetrating beauty, simple and confounding, otherworldly and drenched in grace. Maybe you were with him this morning. Dr. David Williams says that the Sermon on the Mount is probably the most significant teaching of Jesus' ministry. And here's the question. 
What does it sound like when the long-awaited Son of God finally sits down, opens his mouth, and speaks into the world? Does he have another to-do list for us? What does he see when he looks upon us creatures? Is the human race a disappointment? Our text this Sunday is the opening of the great Sermon on the Mount. What they will tell you in Sunday school is called the Beatitudes. A collection of short blessings and promises. Frederick Dale Bruner says of these Beatitudes, I think they are the most significant words ever spoken. What a terrific surprise then when the Son of God sits down and speaks. He starts with blessings and promises. Not a to-do list for humanity, not a rebuke or a complaint. Blessings and promises. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When the Son of God speaks, the spiritual impoverished are the blessed ones. The brokenhearted, they will be comforted. The little nobody people will be given the whole earth. The kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this. Wounded, fragile people, weak and failing, rock bottom sort of people. Congratulations, you needy, needy folks. God is on your side. Jesus really likes the fall through the cracks people. The ones who feel like failures, the ones who are suspicious they may be failures, the ones who know that they are. People who couldn't get out of bed, they botched the interview, they didn't stand up for themselves, and they couldn't stand up for themselves. People who felt broken and done for. These first categories of people don't even ask for anything, and Jesus is already rooting for them, assuring them that God's kingdom is coming for them God's kingdom is already here for them. Jesus predicts God's comfort. Jesus promises them the world. Words of hope like these, words of comfort, too good to be true words, otherworldly even in their divine vision. These words of hope and grace are the very core of the kingdom message. The revealed heart of God Promises for a hurting world. A gift to a troubled human race. And yet, as we've read these words over so many years in the church, they've been a problem of their own sort too. A source of theological debate and scholarly disagreement because how exactly does this work for these blessed right now but comforted later people? It's so hard to incorporate people like this into our busy lives. Does a kingdom really get anything done? 
with people like this? How does a church operate in an environment like this? We've got such a long to-do list to check off, after all. The kingdom doesn't seem like it's on the winning team. And how long do we have to wait for this inheritance anyhow? Deep down, most of us would probably just like to quit being losers. Wouldn't it be easier if our blessings could sort of be maybe mastery of the world? We could just like maybe not be poor or mourning or meek. Why not? Blessed are the rich and the beautiful, for they shall be fabulous. Blessed are the vigorous, for they will prove that you really can have it all. Blessed are the confident, for they will get the big promotion. Can you imagine actually working and operating and worshiping in a religion like that? A living by a philosophy like this? A winner-take-all sort of power struggle? One that rates and grades and scores and sorts people? Celebrates the winners and the celebrities? Actually, when you take the Beatitudes and you turn them on their head, it's striking just how much they look like the world we live in right now. The late David Foster Wallace, in his brilliant essay, This is Water, said, The world of men and money and power hums along quite nicely on the fuel of fear and contempt and frustration and craving and the worship of self. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom to be lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms, alone at the center of all creation. In the service of all this, we have been habituated to take for granted a whole great assortment of placebos, substitutes, numbing agents, distractions, anesthetics, intoxicants, pastimes, all to avoid the disconcerting suspicion that this really is no way to live. Our habits of being, our default settings, are so often toxic and destructive and selfish, robbing us of our humanity hollowing out our souls. And Jesus knows. Jesus knows just how soul-sick we are. He knows the temptations of the world. He knows the varieties of our deception. He knows the ways we sell out our own humanity in the service of such terrible gods. The gift is that the Beatitudes show us a different way of seeing ourselves but also of seeing each other, because they show us a different way of being in the world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for you will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Does the injustice and unfairness and meanness of the world break your heart? Are you overwhelmed? Are you in trouble? What could justice cost you? What might mercy cost you? What did peace cost you? Maybe you thought you had made all sorts of progress, but now you're right back at square one. Are you frustrated and weary in the fight against these degrading systems? Your frustration is the grief of creation. The restlessness of a frustrated cosmos. The yearnings of a loving God. Heartbroken people. Pure-hearted people. Weary, humbled people. Your struggle is blessed by God's own heart. You are not alone. The littleness of your work is known and seen and valued by the will and the purposes of the one who made you. These blessing words, these beatitudes, are hope and good news for the fall through the cracks people, the nobodies and the failures, the people who didn't think they could do enough people, the spent and used up, mourning, broken-hearted people, transformed people who found themselves the blessed vehicles of God's purposes in the world. This is the substance of our faith. This is the whole deal. This is the hope for a troubled world. It's an invitation to a life that is real and human and rich and full and redemptive. And sometimes it's really hard. Friends, these blessed, most significant words of Jesus, hear them. And live into these promises. Amen.